We sought only your infinite wisdom. And how did you breach the barrier? With a starship. This starship? Could it carry my wisdom beyond the barrier? It could, yes. Then I shall make use of this starship. It will be your chariot! Excuse me. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge... This is Tyler Orton brushing off his uh, sprinkles from uh, his cupcake, uh, if you know what I mean. Actually, that sounds dirty (laughs) unintentionally, Cam. (laughs) Uh, listeners, you'll understand uh, why I'm making a reference to cupcakes, uh, I think, uh, by the halfway point of uh, this episode. Sorry if that sounded unintentionally dirty. That's a long build-up to finding out the uh, answer to that one, but nonetheless, it's going to be fun <laughs> because today we are going to uh, tackle the best original Star Trek movie characters. We are going to look at the history of the film franchise and determine who among them is the very best addition to the overall canon of Star Trek. I think what we'll do, we'll have a lot of fun with this, Cam. Why don't we go movie to movie, and you and I have to come to a consensus, and then you and I, we each get an override. You know, if I don't agree with you for one movie, you know, I get to override you just for one movie. And we have to come to a consensus, movie by movie, who is the best original Star Trek character introduced in that film. And then we're going to do like kind of a brackets ranking to decide who is the number one Star Trek original movie character so to avoid confusion you know you're not going to have you know like Khan Nudian Singh part of this list he first appeared in Space Seed and look it gets kind of messy when you get into the Kelvin verse and you want to talk about you know Benedict Cumberbatch's version of Khan so like we have to leave that off the table it's just going to be characters who only ever were created just for these movies yeah and you know it did pain me to leave uh, Zephram Cochran off because he does appear in the original series but the you know the film version is so much like it's such a different character but yes nonetheless we're sticking to that hard rule of they have to have been introduced as original characters in their movies so cam you compiled a, a really extensive master list and um i will be referring to that i i, I found a couple others that uh, might be a little fun to include or, or, or discuss here but uh, otherwise why don't we start out off uh, each movie you'll read off a, a list of characters and then we'll have discussion and if i have another character or two to add I'll, I'll, I'll jump in as well okay that sounds good so why don't we start with the motion picture from 1979 and I just have two names on my list, which are Will Decker and Ilya, of course. I'll add in uh, Commander Sonok, who uh, met his maker through the transporter room <laughs> accident, and uh, the Klingon captain as played by one Mark Leonard. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, Mark Leonard. Yeah, that's a great one. Such a multidimensional character. I mean, he's really <laughs> just cast a shadow over that franchise. But... <laughs> Can we uh, <laughs> eliminate my suggestions and just debate whether it's a uh, Decker versus Ilya camp? I think that's a safe bet, yes. And it's it's tough in some ways because Ilya is 
easily the most iconic character. You know, you look at posters for the for the motion picture, you look at, you know, action figures, there's Ilya stuff all over the place. Decker, not so much, but Ilya is a probe for a good section of the movie, and Decker is the one with more of the journey. He has the journey, and, and that's why he has to be number yeah. one on, on my list here. You know, as problematic as uh, actor Stephen Collins is at this point, um, the fact is I, I'm going to have to separate, you know, the, the art from the artist and, and just talk about, like, he was actually, like, interesting to watch. And that first time we see him in the engine room, he's revving to get the ship going. He knows it better than Kirk after the refits. And it's a sacrifice he ultimately has to make when he encounters his Delton X. And, you know, the the human adventure continues afterwards at, at the end of the film, Cam. Yeah, and I love the scenes of him headbutting with Kirk over, you know, basically Kirk taking over that command. Um, there's a lot of good dramatic tension with that character. Whereas, like, you know, you look at Decker, who gets scenes with, like, the the primary, you know, actors in the film where he's kind of bouncing off of them. Ilya doesn't have that. So it's really hard to put her on the same level, even though she is iconic. So yeah, Decker is the character, and I think he's a pretty interesting one that partly because of the actor's um, life outside of the franchise is kind of ignored, but I feel like Decker was ignored even before all that stuff happened. Yeah, that's true. Although you did get, um, I think, photos every single time that Stephen Collins appeared at a uh, Star Trek convention. Um, what have you done with those uh, photos, Cam? I can safely say I was going to conventions, I believe, before, or not before, but uh, after that happened. So I've never actually seen Stephen Collins oh, at a convention. Okay. Well then, um, Cam, why don't we jump over to The Wrath of Khan after we have decided that uh, Will Decker is the best original movie character to come out of the motion picture. Yeah, so for The Wrath of Khan, we've got Savick, Carol Marcus, David Marcus, and Captain Terrell. Yeah, um, I, I, okay, so I feel pretty firm that it's not David Marcus. It is a character, I understand the tension he has with Kirk. I just don't know if uh, Merrick Buttrick had the quite uh, gravity to pull this off without him coming off as more kind of like a Wesley Crusher sort of character, you yeah. know? Um, and I hate to use the word whiny. I, I totally understand why he is not a big fan of uh, Starfleet versus his, you know, primary vocation in the sciences. Although a little bit of that was a bit of kind of a Nicholas Meyer retconning about, you know, Starfleet being more of a uh, paramilitary organization than one for voyaging, you know, the, the uh, limits of space. But um, he just didn't quite do it for me. I, I found myself much more engaged by uh, Carol Marcus and her tension with Kirk than I ever did with David. Yeah, David is a character that, like, the way he's portrayed, it almost feels like he's younger than he actually is. Even though he's a scientist, it's this weird blend of, like, a character who's a scientist and very accomplished, but at the same time they write him as almost like a teenager sometimes. So, yeah, like, I feel for David Marcus. It was a good idea, probably on the page, but... Not quite executed to a degree. Like, I feel like fans should look back at the death of David Marcus in Star Trek Three as, like, one of the most shattering moments in the franchise. And I don't quite think they do. <laughs> I will always give props to Shatner for his performance when he finds out that David passed on, or I guess was murdered, in The Search for Spock. Um, but other than that, it just didn't quite hit me hard. And also, his death in the next movie is rather arbitrary, 
you know and those mm-hmm. are the deaths that kind of make me roll my eyes as well and so it, it just didn't quite land um captain terrell um Look, he has a little bit of personality to him. He could have been just kind of a generic one-off captain, but I, I don't necessarily think that he is the best original movie character to come out of uh, The Wrath of Khan. No, Paul Winfield really made his mark in the episode Darmok. Like, that is his legendary Star Trek character. Uh, I like Captain Terrell's death scene. He has a very memorable death scene, um, turning the phaser on himself. But yeah, outside of that, not not one of the all-timers for sure. Um. Can we kind of agree? Look, Carol Marcus, she's cool, but is it Savick? Like, it's like uh, Kirstie Alley's performance. It's it's so iconic. Uh, we we still talk about the character to this day. Whereas I, I think there are fewer discussions going on about Carol Marcus uh, in any given get together among Star Trek fans. Yeah, Carol Marcus was never as like well defined as I think we would have liked. Like when they were going to introduce and did introduce the character in Into Darkness, I think a lot of people were excited to see kind of an early look at who that character was and I don't know that we got the most satisfying glimpse and so yeah I think Carol Marcus again kind of like David Marcus really good idea that not necessarily executed to the fullest Savick is I think obviously the most iconic um, new character in that film and a character that I think a lot of fans adore the only thing that gave me just the slightest of pauses was the journey of Savick post Star Trek 2 but within the movie Star Trek Two, I mean, looms very large. Yeah. Okay. So we've got Savick from The Wrath of Khan. Why don't we jump over to the search for Spock, Cam? Uh, who are the most? Who are the best original movie characters from the search for Spock? Well, <laughs> judging from what I was looking at when I was looking through the IMDb page and recalling my memory, all I really had was Commander Kruge. Do you have okay. anyone else? Yeah. Uh, one Captain Styles from uh, of the USS Excelsior. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course, yes. Captain Styles with his riding crop. Yeah, that didn't jump into my mind. Um he's fun. Do do other people find him as amusing as we do? Camp, do we talk about Commander Cruz at all on the show? No, we don't. Whereas you and I as you pointed out, maybe we just find him incredibly amusing. I'm not here to satisfy other Star Trek fans. I'm here to satisfy myself. Again, that sounds um <laughs> uh dirtier than i meant um for me it's captain styles he has like way more character than i, I think cruz does he's sticks in my mind because he's so ridiculous like i and we even had like star trek lower decks riding crop jokes you know coming yeah. out of this character i, I don't know I, I, there, there's really been no legacy behind commander cruz other than the fact that he was portrayed by the, the always awesome christopher lloyd yeah i mean i guess it's you know the death of kirk's son um, he has that going for him. Um, and also just kind of being an important cog in the evolution of the Klingons on screen, uh, which we talked about in our Klingon evolution episode. But like, Cruz, I think the problem is he doesn't come across as the brightest of characters, and he's following Khan. And to me, I always find him kind of unsatisfying when I watch the movie. Whereas I can honestly say I've never felt unsatisfied with Captain Styles. I can say that. Wow. Okay, Cam. <laughs> That's right. Phrasing. That writing crop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well then, um, are we agreed? Is it Captain Styles is the best original movie character to come out of the search for Spock? 
I mean, it's the insane answer, but it's the more fun answer. <laughs> I mean, I honestly believe that. I, I, I've had way more fun talking about him over the years we've been doing the podcast than I ever had with Commander Kruge. And also, I just, when he's on screen, I'm having way more fun than when I'm seeing Kruge on screen. Where, as you said, he's kind of dopey. You know, it, it's, yeah. I, I mean, the only other argument is like, what, the John Larroquette Klingon? You know, like, eh, yeah. no, I don't think so. Yeah, it's more like with Kruge, it's the visual. It's just seeing him in the chair with, you know, the... You know, the Klingon dog next to him, like stuff like that. You're like, oh, that's really cool. But when you actually watch the movie and see him as actually an antagonist in the film, he's kind of wanting. So, yeah, I'm willing to uh, go with uh, Captain Styles on this one. It's yes. a goofy choice, but it's kind of the fun choice, I think. Okay. okay. Uh, Cam, what's next up with The Voyage Home? Yeah, so we have Dr. Jillian Taylor and Admiral Cartwright. And Admiral Cartwright, of course, will go on to appear in a, a couple other Star Trek films. Important character, played by Brock Peters. But, uh, you know, Jillian Taylor really does loom over the movie. I guess the question is, which one is the better character? I mean, just in terms of a journey that she goes on here for being, you know, a scientist mm -hmm. from Earth, um, traveling into the future, and then promptly dumping Kirk. I mean, this is a character journey, whereas uh, Cartwright, he has a journey across the film franchise but if we have to pick the one most memorable original film character to come out of this movie i mean everybody's always talking about dr jillian right we have seen people in jillian cosplay at the convention so that's definitely a mark in her favor and she also features into some really classic star trek scenes whether it's the italian dinner or the scene of them all driving together, you know, in the pickup truck. Um, this character gets a lot and gets the big, uh, <laughs> basically blowing off Kirk at the end of being like, you know what? I'm okay. See you later. <laughs> Can I ask you this, Cam? What is uh, Cartwright's most memorable scene in uh, The Voyage Home? It's all exposition in this movie. Yeah. Like, it, he doesn't really pay off until Star Trek VI. Exactly. I, I can't really pick a moment. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> isn't it really rainy outside when he's in Starfleet Command? Yeah, I think this one's pretty easy. It's got to be Jillian Taylor. Okay. Uh, Cam, uh, let's jump over to the final frontier. Everyone's favorite collection of characters introduced to the franchise. Yeah. <laughs> so on my list, I've got Cybok, I've got Sinjin Talbot, and I've got God. The, in quotes. Uh, God, <laughs> yeah, in quotes. <laughs> as introduced at the end of the film, somewhat <laughs> to no one's great excitement. <laughs> Um, so look, I am always going to be the final frontier apologist. To me, there, there's mm -hmm. no original movie that captures the spirit of the original series the way that this one does. I don't think it's an exceptional movie, but I kind of, it, it's so goofy and like, kind of like, I don't want to say it's so bad it's good, but, um, I, I can just have fun and go with the, the ridiculous stuff like row, row, row your boat, you know, like climbing up Yosemite. That sort of goofiness, fan dancing, you know. Um, I, I, I mean, the God stuff was stupid, and it's not as if I was ever interested in exploring the dimensions of this uh, quote-unquote God character. I, I Can we eliminate him from the list, or do you have any uh, further thoughts on God? Yeah, I mean, it's more fun. Like, we've had a ton of fun on the show joking about the, uh, you know, the, the head flying through the air going like, oh, things like that. But, yeah, there's no dimension whatsoever. It's more just a visual. Okay, uh, Sinjin Talbot, uh, you know, uh, played by one, uh, the late, great David Warner, who would have a, an amazing legacy throughout the uh, Star Trek films, you know, playing uh, Gorkon, uh, Gol Madrid, um, you know. Um, 
does he quite <laughs> did we know how great his legacy would be based on the uh, uh his performance as the federation ambassador no um this is a character that i i added because it was david warner and he's more memorable than like the romulan ambassador and the vulcan ambassador but uh yeah, uh, I don't think uh, when all is said and done with the Star Trek franchise, people look back at Sinjin Talbot as one of the great David Warner creations. Okay, so by default, Cam, is Cybok the greatest original movie character to come out of the Final Frontier? I think so. The addition of Spock's half-brother is interesting. Um, the way that they showed us a Vulcan who didn't operate the same way that we'd seen Vulcans typically operate, I think was a, a great concept. It it wasn't quite delivered as wonderfully as I would hope, or I think many fans would have hoped, but I do feel like Cybok is the one that people have asked about. The fact that Strange New Worlds is bringing Cybok back shows that there is a certain interest or intrigue in that character, whereas, like, I would be, I would be floored, floored if there was, like, a new Star Trek show that was uh, reintroducing Sinjin Talbot or, you know, God. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but here, here's the thing with like them reintroduced like on Star Trek, uh, Strange New Worlds. All we do is we see the back of Cybok's head, and they never mm -hmm. follow up on um that plot thread. I think it was, and I think there were discussions in the writers' room, and I think they ultimately landed was like, okay, we'll we'll give the nod, but we don't want to take this too seriously because it's not a, it's really not a revered movie. I kind of hope that they rethink that, and maybe they do pick up that thread going into season two. You know, just why not try to fix something that didn't quite work? And, and personally, Cybok had like a legit journey as, as kind of this cult leader who kind of realizes his folly like way too late. Yeah, and I think you could do a lot with Cybok if they bring him back onto Strange New Worlds because we didn't get a lot of discussion about Cybok's childhood, for example. Like in a serialized TV show, or mostly serialized, um, you could actually delve into that character in a way that a movie never could. Like, there's not a lot of um, exploration of the character of Cybok in Final Frontier. There's just not time. It's like an hour 45, and they have to set up all this stuff with all these other things like Shaka Ray and all that sort of thing. So um, I think Cybok is a really compelling idea. I think uh, when I look at these three names on the list for Star Trek V, he's the best idea. It's just not one that we've seen <laughs> fully kind of uh, underlined in the years since. Okay. Okay. So why don't we jump over to the undiscovered country, which I think just has like this uh, bevy of picks to choose from here. But uh, tell me who you got. Yeah, we've got Lieutenant Valeris, we've got General Chang, and we got Chancellor Gorkon. Those are the three I've got. I'd also like to add Colonel Worf, you know, the uh, lawyer. Um, uh, Azitbur, who is uh, Gorkon's daughter, soon to become Chancellor. We also have uh, Marsha, the uh, changeling, uh, or I, yep. I guess she, no, she was established as a shapeshifter, I think is what they called her. And then we also have um, <laughs> the, the Federation president as portrayed by one Kurtwood Smith. I looked at that one on the IMDb and I was like, <laughs> for us, it's kind of got the Captain Styles factor going sure. for it. But yeah, I wasn't sure that that quite, quite worked. He doesn't even have a name. Exactly. Okay, so we can eliminate him. He's got a great facial hair, though. Out of the ones that I listed off, I, I think the ones that you listed off are the three prime ones. But if we have got, uh, you know, Colonel Worf, Marsha, and Azitbert, like, who is the one that's, I don't know, kind of popped to you more than anyone else? I think, like, Marsha gets a fair amount that's memorable in the movie, but 
not really a character. We don't really know anything about them. Um, I think for me, it's Colonel Worf is the one that stands out the most. And that's probably just because it's Michael Dorn. But I remember even at the time seeing this movie when I was, I don't know, 12 years old or something like that. The excitement of seeing like Worf's ancestor was really cool. And so I think that's the one that at least to me jumps out the most. I want to know what kind of paycheck uh, Doran got for that one day on set. Yeah, that would be interesting to know. I bet it was pretty good. I think so, too. It's a major motion picture, so it would have been more than he would probably be used to for a single, you know, episode or something like that. Yeah, I think it's like a fan, fan service cameo. I, I'm guessing, you know, th- these are $1990, but um, I'm guessing like an easy 50 grand, you know, just for one day's work. I would think so, yeah. 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 Um, I'd like to find out um, uh, that I was either wildly underselling it or wildly overestimating uh, what he would have uh, uh, cashed in that day. I think you have your question for the next Star Trek convention <laughs> he's at. <laughs> uh, Mr. Dorn, can you show me your tax returns, please? <laughs> okay, well, if we get to the meat and potatoes, <laughs> um, uh, Valeris, Chang, and, and Gorkon here. Um yeah. I think, you know, David Warner as Gorkon, uh, he's very charismatic. He is the thinking man's Klingon. Um, he, he's a lot of fun in the very brief time that he's there on screen. Um, I understand what his journey is, uh, no matter how short it is. I just don't know if he quite measures up to Valeris and General Chang, just at least in my eyes. Uh, w- w- what's your uh, point of view here? Yeah, I kind of feel the same. And also because he dies relatively early in yeah. the movie. I do remember, though, that when I saw this film, and I hadn't watched a lot of TNG when I saw Star Trek VI, that he really did change my perception of Klingons. Because, you know, you go to the previous movies, you've got Kruge, you've also got that Star Trek V Klingon villain who I didn't even mention when we were yeah. going through characters, because uh, I don't remember his name and he's not interesting. But, like, that was kind of my way of looking at Klingons. And when um, Gorkon came you know, onto the screen, I was like, this feels different. And I really do like that character a lot. But I think when you look at the overall impact on the movie, you got to look at Valeris and at Chang, right? Yeah. And even Chang is different too. Again, yet another thinking man's Klingon. You can kind of understand why these two were able to kind of rise to the top of the ranks, you know, through um, just a certain refinement, um, uh, smarts as well. And you can imagine, uh, look, look at Chang's... uh, uh, eye patch right there that's bolted into his skull. Um, he's probably proven himself on the battlefield as well. I would say that's a safe uh, assumption to make. And when I look at Valeris and Chang, I think I come down on the side of Chang because uh, he's got some definite, you know, iconic dialogue. The look is incredibly distinct. Christopher Plummer, incredible actor. And with Valeris, I like him Cattrall in the role, but it really bugs me that this isn't Savick. Like, it feels like a character that's not quite fully thought out because of the fact it was kind of a placeholder in a way. Like, had this been Savick, I think Savick would rank very high on my list of all-time movie characters. But Valeris, in a single film, doesn't have the same impact. Well, you know, they did not turn... Well, it was originally going to be Savick, as you were saying, but then they turned it into a new yeah. character because they worried that it, you know fans would feel betrayed by Savick's you know, arc over the course of the movie series, would you have felt betrayed? No, I don't think so. If it's written well, it would have worked. Um, yeah. I, I would trust Nicholas Meyer to... I think if Nicholas Meyer had decided to make it Savick, 
he would have because he you know created the character or helped uh, co-created the character in the first place that he would have been invested in making sure that this you know heel turn felt earned are you kind of surprised you know at least for us our observations at the star trek uh, conventions we don't see as much you know valeris cosplaying with that distinctive haircut and the the shaved uh sideburns or not side not sideburns on a woman but uh you know what i'm kind of saying like the the hair hanging over the front yeah. side of the ear you know like i i kind of would expect we'd see just a little bit more because she is very memorable here in uh in undiscovered country and i think as you said you know can't Kim Cattrall, she really is kind of chewing up the scenery whenever she's on there. Yeah, for sure. And I would love to see Kim Cattrall at a Star Trek con one day. Um, I'm not sure if she's gone to them in the past, but I I do think like that, if she showed up to do, you know, say the Vegas convention or something, that's when you might see Valeris cosplay. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Would you consider getting a uh, photo? Uh, I I don't think I would pay for that one because I feel like that one's not going to be cheap. Okay. Uh, I would consider doing an autograph, but it'd have to be with the whole cast of Sex in the City. <laughs> That's a whole other convention. <laughs> yes. Okay. Cam, uh, so it's decided uh, one General Chang. Let's jump over to uh, Star Trek Generations. Uh, uh, who are the uh, the folks you've got here? <laughs> I've got Soren, and I've got Captain Harriman. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll throw in uh, Demora Sulu as well. And um, oh, yeah, yeah. how about uh, Picard's Nexus family? All of them, all of the all children of them. Yeah, together yeah. as a single entity. Yeah. Um, and, and what was the name of uh, the, um, uh, what, what do we call her? The uh, half horse, half woman um, character uh, that uh, Kirk encountered, his love of his life. Antonia the centaur. The centaur, yeah. I kept wanting to say Capricorn. I knew that Capricorn is not the right word, but uh, Antonia the centaur. Um, okay. Um, between, okay. Maybe maybe we'll we'll discuss this between Harriman and Demora Sulu. Uh, who who made kind of the, the bigger splash on screen for you? Harriman, I think, makes the bigger splash. Yeah, uh, we were at the convention. Uh, God, this would have been 2019 when uh, Jacqueline Kim, uh, who performed yeah. uh, as uh, Demora uh, Sulu, uh, she was there. At uh, Kim, was this among the most awkward um, panels we've ever attended? Which is really saying something, given that we've been to all of these Star Trek panels. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. There's a lot of awkward questions at some of these panels. And uh, yes, this one was brutal. It was a collection of basically Star Trek guest actors. And um, I believe it was her, Brian Thompson, and I don't remember who the other participant was. Was it Glenn Morshower? Oh, I think so. Yes. Okay. And I it think was you're right. Yeah. moderated by um, Chase Masterson. And... I don't want to pick on Chase Masterson, but she really did lose control of that panel. Um, uh, I would say 99.9% due to um, uh, Brian Thompson. It was mm-hmm. it was painful to sit through. You could cut the tension with a knife. He was just saying like some remarkably um, inappropriate things, and you could just visibly see how uncomfortable Jacqueline Kim was at uh, that panel. Yeah, I've seen Brian Thompson a couple times at Star Trek cons. Uh, I think one... Might have been the first time I ever went to the Vegas one. He had a solo panel where he had like 45 minutes on stage or something. And it got weird. (laughs) It really got weird. How come he's uh, getting a solo panel, but you have to stuff like the main casts, you know, like uh, eight of them at a time uh, when you were in Vegas uh, this past summer? Well, I mean, that's more of an evolution because when I started going, it was like almost all solo panels. Right. Yeah. Um. And then over the years, they started doing these group ones because I think they felt it was bigger, like more of a showcase thing and to draw people to Vegas. But uh, 
they also have their you know drawbacks as we've discussed in our con episodes okay well we give me this uh captain harriman did have a journey he did have an arc through his uh, uh 12 minutes of screen time yes uh he became one of the biggest fan punching bags in star trek history <laughs> yeah. um he got kirk kind of killed um <laughs> sort of where did they uh, find yeah. this guy like seriously starfleet like th- this is the guy you put in charge of your flagship I know, right? Like, you look at the, the legacy, you know, Pike and Kirk and April, and they were like, well, we've got the Enterprise B. Who have we got? Get Harriman, a guy who seemingly has never captained a ship in his life, judging from his uh, behavior in the film. I, I think there's some nepotism going on with that promotion. Oh, like Admiral Harriman um, got him a job? Yeah, I, something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you know who okay. it was? Oh, actually, no. The timeline's way off. I was thinking it was... Um, Somebody like Commodore O maybe recommended him. Oh, I like that. I like that. Now, were they both wearing sunglasses when this (laughs) deal was struck? Yes, obviously. Um, So, okay. uh, But before we declare Soren the winner, I I think we can kind of agree on that. Um, Look, how do we feel about this character? Who I think, you know, Malcolm McDowell is always a presence. Uh, His journey, I understand... You know, this is a man who's lost his family. He'll do anything it takes to return to the Nexus. I think a lot of it is, okay, uh, an execution issue more than a concept issue. Are are you kind of with me there? Yeah, like, I do think there's, like, shades of sort of, like, an addiction story almost with his, like, relentless pursuit of the Nexus. Like, there's something going on there that feels underwritten. Um, But he is fairly recognizable just like the you know the kind of the blonde hair the black suit like this character does stand out to me was it blonde hair or, or like silver fox kind of deal didn't he have kind of like bleach blonde hair in that movie we can I easily find out um i am going yeah. to uh google dr soren uh star trek and i will uh i'm, I'm going to place a bet that he's more of kind of the, the silver fox versus the platinum blonde um okay yeah cam he is certainly a silver fox here okay yeah my i'm misremembering in this moment yeah do you know i think it was cam you know how um all of the lights turned off in the enterprise d and instead we just got like these golden rays uh throughout uh, the entire uh 10 forward set I, I think it was just kind of the the uh golden uh rays uh bouncing off of his white hair that uh made you uh uh confabulate that in your own brain you know what I think it might have been? It was the movie Gangster Number no. 1, where him and Paul Bettany played the same character. And I think he may have had blonde hair in that. Okay. But anyways. <laughs> anyways, different uh, Malcolm McDowell film. Uh, very different film. So, okay. yeah, I think we have to, you know, settle on uh, Dr. Soren. And I say settle, because this is not a character who's probably going to storm this uh, this overall ranking. The night is young. Nonetheless, he is the most, like, yeah, the most memorable one. So let's move on to First Contact. I think this one's going to be kind of brutal. Okay. So I've got the Borg Queen, uh, Lily Sloan, and Lieutenant Hawk. And do you have any others? Yeah, you're forgetting Nikki the Nose from um, the Dixon Hill Holodeck program. And uh, the EMH. Right, yeah, yeah. That is not the same character as from Voyager. It is a different character. That is true. Yeah, um, yeah. Can we eliminate Nikki? The, can we eliminate the holograms from... Uh... <laughs> the debate camp well i was about to eliminate the board queen and lily sloan in favor of nikki the nose because you <laughs> yeah no i think it's safe to say we can uh, cut those two okay okay um 
I also think it's relatively safe to cut Lieutenant Hawk, a character I like. But when you compare him to the heavyweights of the Borg Queen and Lily Sloan, I mean, come on. Not even yeah. close, right? Uh, should we uh, recount another awkward uh, convention story? One featuring um, <laughs> uh, the actor. Oh, why am I blanking on uh, uh, the actor's name who played uh, one Lieutenant Hawk? Um, Martin McDu- Martin something, right? Neil McDonough. Neil McDonough. Okay, I was getting it mixed up with uh, the writer-director of Banshees of Inna Sharon, uh, uh, Martin McDonough. But, um, Common so, mistake. <laughs> yeah, uh, Neil McDonough is a very, very, very religious man, you know, on which, you know, fine, all that. But uh, a fan went up to the microphone, and he's saying, like, oh, yeah, and, like, um, I don't know, the, uh, the novelization, you're gay. And how do you feel about that? And then very religious... <laughs> Uh, Martin, or uh, sorry, Neil McDonough. Martin uh, he, McDonough. <laughs> <laughs> Neil McDonough. Uh, you could tell like he was um, being uh, very, very stiff, and he's like, "That's cool." And they're like, "Well, yeah, but tell me what you think about it." That's cool, and it just, it just got very icy on stage because you could tell this guy was, um, I don't know, he, he didn't have much more to say than "That's cool." Yeah, I, it's interesting because I know he does conventions. He must have had that question in the past, right? I don't know. Is it, like, how many people are like reading the novelization of Star Trek First Contact and then taking away that um, Lieutenant Hawk, who's just such a peripheral character, is, is gay. Yeah. And then they're going to pose that question when there's so much more stuff to ask Neil McDonough about, you know, whether it's like, uh, you know, Justified or, or Marvel, you know, those kinds sure. of things. I mean, I was standing right behind that person in line to ask a question, and I had the exact same question chambered. <laughs> okay. yeah, that's true. That's true. I forgot about that. So. No, you still <laughs> asked it again anyway. <laughs> it got really awkward then. <laughs> yeah. Um okay, so I think it's pretty much between Lily and the Borg Queen and this is what I keep going back mm-hmm. and forth with. The um you know, this far no farther, you know, moment in which Lily is really the only one who can confront Picard on his Captain Ahab tendencies in this situation. That is one of the greatest moments in Star Trek and, and one of Patrick Stewart's great acting moments. And frankly, you know, Alfred Woodard hitting out of the ballpark there. You know, just I, I, I love that scene. Um, beyond that, you know, like it, it is just fun watching this character, you know, um, end up on a starship and, and looking out <laughs> on planet Earth and kind of touching a force field and freaking out. You know, like she does have a journey. I, I, I remember like Roger Ebert's review of the film. And he's like, if there's any way to bring back, you know, the Alfre Woodard character, uh, please do so. Like, there's just something magnetic about her. And I, I really wish, you know, like, Cam, like, they're bringing back everybody? Is there not a way to somehow yeah. figure out how to bring back uh, one Lily Sloan, you know, for Star Trek Picard Season 3? I don't know. Or I don't uh, care how convoluted it is, uh, Cam. <laughs> Come on. Maybe we should let that one lie. Because no, Cam. I'm not sure you want to see that return. <laughs> Make it happen. I have so much faith in the in the um uh people behind the scenes of uh picard uh that i I know they could make this work right uh i prefer they just deal with nikki the nose (laughs) start there and maybe (laughs) maybe they can work their way up (laughs) so like lily sloan is a tough one because i think it is one of the great performances and supporting characters in a star trek movie period but on the flip side, we have the Borg Queen, who is one of the great antagonists in the history of the franchise. And I think Alice Krieger, in her initial performance in that film, is just incredible. She has an amazing introduction. All of her scenes opposite Data are just, like, 
Star Trek has an often a villain problem when it comes to these movies. They're always trying to replicate a con like figure. And to me, this was one of the few times they really hit a home run. So when I look at her performance in that film and what that character would mean to the franchise going forward, I think I have to say Borg Queen is the yeah. one I would have to pick. The reason this villain works is because they're not trying to recreate a con character. They're doing something just totally different, yeah. totally out there. And the fact is this movie came out, you know, what, uh, 26 years ago? And she's still reappearing as a villain, you know, even this year with, with uh, Star Trek Picard Season 2, you know? Like, um, I can't necessarily say that they put her to good use, but... It, it like I I was still um like super excited to see her realized on screen uh, this time played by one uh, Annie Warshing um, versus Alice Krieger but at least we got kind of the lower decks uh, voice uh, over uh, with Alice Krieger making another return at least in animated form yeah and it's a character who's always kind of worked um like the Picard ultimate usage of her was not great but she was pretty fantastic in her first handful of episodes. So even then, I, I was mostly happy. Uh, and Susanna Thompson's performance as well. Yeah. Voyager was incredible, especially like Dark Frontier, one of the great Borg Queen stories. So yeah, I mean, I think in a different film, Lily Sloan, it would be a home run, no questions asked. She walks away with it. But going up against the Borg Queen, that's a little unfortunate. Can I ask you this? What, what's your favorite um, Borg Queen appearance? Is it, is it First Contact or is it Dark Frontier? I think it might be Dark Frontier. Yeah. She just um, seems so menacing, like like literally scary, you know, in a way that we, we don't necessarily always realize on, on, uh, on TV or movies. Yeah, and I would say the Borg come across scarier in Dark Frontier, especially for that whole sequence of all the people being, you know, assimilated in those, like, chambers. Um, but I think they're more fearsome and scary in Dark Frontier than they are in First Contact for me. And also just Susanna Thompson's chemistry with one uh, Jerry Ryan as they were going back and forth. Like it really like, you know, sparked and, and just kind of jumped out the screen there. So I don't know. I, I think we kind of struck gold with Susanna Thompson. It just, to me, it's still kind of unfortunate we couldn't bring either one of them back for um, Picard season two. Although I just wonder, like both these women, they're probably like, uh, I, I'm betting Susanna Thompson's in her 60s. I bet uh, Kriega's in her 70s. Do either one of them really want to do like eight hours of like Borg makeup just to, and then go on uh, to the set for another eight hours and then spend another like four hours taking it off? No, I doubt it. Um, there was an interview recently with Zoe Saldana talking about Guardians 3, which is coming up. And they asked her, you know, would you miss the character if this was the end? And she said, I would miss the character, but I would not miss the makeup. And all of the trips to the dermatologist that were required after dealing with that role. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. oof. Yeah. Like when she's saying that and she's dealing with like, you know, 2022 prosthetics and makeup. You think of what these <laughs> actresses were going through in like 90s and 2000s makeup. Like brutal. Brutal. Yeah. Okay, Cam. So board queen it is. Uh, what do we have for insurrection? We have a murderer's row of classic characters. We <laughs> yes. have Ruafu, uh, the villain. We have Anij. Um, and we have Admiral Doherty, who, of course, is most memorable for having his face stretched to death. Okay, I think you're also forgetting Artem, uh, Data's little uh, buddy. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Max Grodencheck was in the background in one scene. That's true. There was a lot of farmers. I think every one of them really yeah. had an impact on me. Yeah, true. Okay. Um, Kim, I don't, I don't know. 
I know. For me, it's really kind of between two people, I, I guess. Um, you know, Admiral Doherty had a very memorable death scene, which is cool, but this guy was a cipher. Like, I got nothing out of him. I, I didn't find him interesting whatsoever. No, the actor actually appeared um, as a, like, secondary or even third-tier Bond villain in the movie License to Kill, and he's so much more memorable in that movie versus in this film. I remember that performance. This one, as you said, kind of a cipher. Do you think maybe just kind of something like that, uh, that performance in the Bond film, that's maybe what got him the gig? But when you have to put him in the Admiral's uniform, it's like he can't really kind of chew the scenery the same way. He's got to play straight man who's got himself into a little bit of trouble. I think that is the case, yeah. Like, it's just way more to kind of play with in a Bond universe uh, versus here. I don't know. As soon as you're a Star Trek Admiral, you don't get to have that much fun. Even when you're the villain, it's a little bit of a stiff role to play, and I just think a little, you know, confined, especially with Rafu, who, you know, played by F. Mary Abraham, who, not one of the all-time great Star Trek villains, but you get to play a lot more. You're in kind of really memorable makeup. He, you're making screaming sounds. You just get to kind of play to the rafters a little more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this one's tough. He's not like, like, I know what you're saying. Like, like, like he's like, um... F. Murray Abraham is great. He's chewing the scenery here. I, I, I just like what? What does the character ultimately add up to? You know, like I ultimately like his sidekick who kind of um, turned heel for the good guys at a certain point and uh, ended the movie hugging his uh, much younger mother. You know, like um, Rafu's character. It, it just felt like paint by numbers. You know, like I, I could predict what was going to happen beat by beat every time he was on screen, despite me enjoying. F. Murray Abraham's performance, whereas Anish, like, it it wasn't like Donna Murphy popped off screen, but it was something different in Star yeah. Trek, you know? Like, just, like, they, how, how often do we see kind of a character like that? Especially one, I, I don't know if there's, like, a ton of chemistry between her and Patrick Stewart, but somebody who's at least bouncing off a card in, in that sort of manner. There is the one perfect moment scene where there's, like, slowed down hummingbirds or something like that. Um... I think there's like kind of a sweetness to that romance that kind of works for the movie because the movie feels a little inconsequential. So this kind of just like light, you know, kind of romantic drama relationship mostly works. And I think, yeah, Donna Murphy is, this is a tough one because neither one of these are all-time great Star Trek characters. But if I'm to choose who is the more, I guess, compelling character of the two, probably her because Rafu like what is his character like, like he's very he's very one note very mustache twirling you know and just kind of like yeah it's just we've seen that character a million times before in a million other like uh movies and tv shows and he's not really playing off of one of the main cast in a big way the way at least donna murphy a lot of scenes with um with patrick stewart and it actually means something to the journey of patrick stewart's character you know picard how many scenes did Rafu actually have with any of the main cast members? There's the fight at the end yeah. um, in front of the blue screen tower. Um, <laughs> There's another uh, awkward uh, convention story to share, Cam. Yeah, that's true. And a friend of the show, Stefan, um, asked Jonathan Frakes about the blue screens, if they were meant to be filled in. And Jonathan Frakes was not amused. Uh, he was like, yep, looks cheap, doesn't it? I think he said, looks like the movie wasn't finished, right? And then Stefan nodded. And then... <laughs> That was the end. Freaks never followed up. I was like, Ugh, nope. okay. <laughs> no. So do we go with Anish, I guess? I guess so. You know, like, I just, she's something different. Like, she's not the most memorable Star Trek original 
movie character, but she's at least doing something different versus like Rafa is not doing anything different at all. No, I mean, Donna Murphy was really good in Spider-Man 2 a couple years later playing Dr. Octopus's wife. So like she definitely has charisma. I just feel like this movie didn't serve her the best, but the character mostly gets across. And, and but I just want to add as well, like we referred to Doherty, played by Anthony Zerbe. We had, didn't mention his name, but uh, worth mentioning. But yeah, I think we, uh, I think we have to settle on in the use here. Do you think he goes around saying "Yo, yo, yo"? It's uh, A to Z. That's me, Anthony Zerbe. <laughs> he does now. I hope. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, okay, Cam. Let's get him on the podcast and ask. Okay, and uh, we can, I guess, move on to Nemesis, where I have Shinzon and the Viceroy, played by Ron Perlman. Yeah, uh, I don't know. The only one I'll throw in there is maybe uh, Subcommander Dinatra, played by uh, Dina Meyer. Um, you know, yep. I, I, I just, it, it's hard if you're up against, or if at least you're in the same movie as one Ron Perlman and one Tom Hardy, I, I think the odds are stacked against you that you're going to come off as one of the best original characters, you know, from a Star Trek film. I, I Maybe we have to do an early elimination with regards to Donatra? Yeah. Um, okay. You know, Dina Meyer's shown up at conventions, very enthusiastic about her part uh, in the franchise, but yeah, kind of a slight character in comparison to, yeah, Tom Hardy and Ron Perlman. Could you see Ron Perlman underneath all that Viceroy makeup? Not really. I know. You don't really get that Perlman-ness coming out of that character in the way that, you you know, you look at a movie like Hellboy, where he's buried under all of this makeup, and somehow he comes through. I don't know that that quite clicks with the Viceroy. It's kind of like when you hear that there's all these, like, famous actors that are doing um, cameos as stormtroopers in the new movies, and I mean, (laughs) okay, great, (laughs) you're underneath a suit. (laughs) Like, uh, I I take it, that's your voice, but beyond that, I'm just like, hey. Um, I mean... (laughs) Daniel Craig was the only one that really clicked because the voice was very distinct, but the rest of them, not so much in that Star Wars, you know, in those new movies. And he kept asking for uh, martinis, too, which is a weird that thing too, for Stormtrooper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I, okay, like, like I, I, I'll go by the, the, the uh, insurrection reasoning as well. Voice, Viceroy just really didn't do anything that was all that interesting, you know? Like, um, he had an interesting relationship with Shinzon. But he seemed very kind of like goonish more than anything else, more than kind of how like Chang was more like kind of thinking man's Klingon. Yeah, I mean, he's mostly there to have that fist fight with Riker at the end of the movie. A really bad um, fist fight? And he does it well. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he at least puts up a fight on his end. But yeah, it's not a great fist fight in the, in the world of, uh, you know, fights on film. But uh, he's, he's honestly better as a visual. Which, that is not something I would say about a Shinzon. Whereas, like, yes, there is the cool visual of Shinzon, but there's a character there. This sort of darker, what could have been Picard. Um, You know, Nemesis uh, has its fair share of detractors, often well-earned. But um, I do think Shinzon is a concept that works very well, and I think Tom Hardy is very strong. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, after this movie, like, you know, Tom Hardy said that he thought he had uh, made his big break, and when... Things just didn't materialize as they so often do in Hollywood. I like he kind of fell into kind of a depression and, and was having substance abuse abuse issues. You know, um, I don't know where I'm going with Shinzon's character. Uh, other than like, I if this movie was a bigger hit, I I just wonder if you know Star Trek could have uh, made a claim for fame for you know taking credit for the discovery of Tom Hardy back then. Yeah, totally. And I think it's a case where like Shinzon maybe isn't held up 
in the highest of regard with Star Trek fans. I feel like that's largely to do with the movie around him, which is not great. And I think with, you know, another script pass, maybe a different director, like Shinzon could have loomed a lot larger over the franchise. I don't think that he's the problem. I think in concept, he works. So, like, I think he's a pretty solid Star Trek villain. He also has a pretty cool death scene in which uh, he's impaled by a spear oh, yeah. and uh, he continues to, like, uh, pull it through his sternum like a badass. Yeah, like, we've never seen anything like that in Star Trek, and I don't think we ever will again. Uh, I think, uh, no, didn't uh, didn't the Federation president go the same way in uh, uh, The Undiscovered Country? Uh, oh, of course, of course, in that deleted scene, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Part of the uh, the uh, conspiracy that, uh, that was unfolding. <laughs> Yeah. That's right. So I think we got to go Shinzon, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So we'll jump over to Star Trek 2009. We're in the Kelvinverse now, baby. And the three I've got are Nero, George Kirk, and Keenzer. I'll, I'll throw in Cupcake, of course. And I don't know, maybe Winona Kirk, because she was like a pretty good uh, uh, character to be bouncing off George Kirk. And what I think are one of the best seven minutes of uh, Star Trek, and I'm not joking, people, but one of the best seven minutes of Star Trek we've ever seen realized on the big screen. Yeah, yeah, no, definite solid addition. I mean, you have that dynamic between the two of them there, and it really dramatically brings that scene to life in addition to all the you know pyrotechnics. Cam, tell me about Keenser's arc. Well, he likes sitting on things, Tyler. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And doesn't he get, he gets like a cold at a certain point in the, right, the third right. movie. Um, what what about Cupcake's journey? Um, didn't he have a death scene that was taken out of one of the movies? Yeah, he was originally slated to uh, perish in Beyond, but that scene was a deleted scene. So he's still technically, you know, out there. Uh, if we ever actually get a uh, fourth Kelvinverse film. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, like, Keenzer is a fun visual, and I'll say Deep Roy has been very gracious and friendly at the, you know, conventions I've seen him at, but uh, Keenzer's not really a character. I think was more introduced as sort of the... This was when they were kind of looking at Star Trek, I think, as a bit of a Star Wars-y kind of franchise they could make, and uh, or kind of recreate, and... Um, I think he was kind of supposed to be like an R2-D2 type character. And, uh, you know, he serves his purpose, but not the most dynamic. Yeah. Um. Okay. Look, I look, I, I think Winona Kirk w- was interesting. But uh, if we have to be honest, I, I, I think it's between George Kirk and Nero at this point. And I'll just say, I, I go back to this kind of the whole Ruafu thing, the whole Viceroy thing. I really didn't find that, you know, like Nero was all that interesting. Like, I think you described him as kind of a, a trucker in outer space before. And um, <laughs> I think you liked him just because we've never seen such a, like a dumb, like meathead, yes. <laughs> like, you know, of a villain. Like Star Trek's such a cerebral franchise, right? And like, so you always have like incredibly smart characters like Spock and Picard. The idea of like putting them up against a character who's just like an idiot with a lot of firepower it's kind of fun, and I think like Eric Banya plays it as well as you possibly can, and he gets the big fire everything moment. But in terms of being like one of the uh, really interesting, fleshed out Star Trek antagonists, he does leave you a little wanting. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe we're in agreement that George Kirk, you know, gets the, the title here. It is kind of disappointing here. Just how things unfolded with what was supposed to be the fourth Kelvinverse movie uh, that I think was supposed to come out in 2018. 
Still waiting on that one almost five years later, but, you know, uh, Chris Hemsworth, uh, who played George Kirk before, you know, uh, Chris Hemsworth got uh, his eyebrows dyed and made his first appearance in Thor, um, you know, back in 2011, um, he was just talking about what the, what the deal was with that movie, and it kind of, it didn't seem as interesting to me as what I thought it was going to be, which essentially George Kirk escapes into, like, a transporter buffer. Yeah. And it just, it, it would have taken away a lot of what made the first seven minutes of 2009 so heartbreaking and you're just so invested in the sacrifice that he's making you know and um ultimately that movie never you know kind of uh unfolded the way that we would have hoped and and i think hemsworth even said that you know honestly you know people talk a lot about kind of the um the contract negotiations being a problem he said a lot of it is like the script wasn't necessarily like there, there were issues in the script, whereas J.J. Abrams had been going around red carpets uh, when uh, yep. Beyond was premiering. He's like, this is the best script. And he was referring to the, the um, fourth Kelvinverse movie. This is the best script I've ever seen. And we're like, oh, okay. I don't know if Hemsworth necessarily agrees. Yeah, I am I would have liked to have seen this movie. I would like a fourth Kelvinverse movie. I still have that attitude. I hope one day we get one. But... I'm kind of okay leaving George Kirk where he, you know, died in Star Trek 2009 because I do think this is a, as you said, like one of the great scenes in Star Trek, incredibly emotional. I think Chris Hemsworth does a fantastic job getting this character across in just like a you know, handful of moments. And we can even see through him how his son would evolve, you know, over the course of the Kelvinverse or if you want to apply it to the original Kirk, either way. Um, so I think this is a fantastic turn and I think ultimately George Kirk is more important overall, I think to Star Trek canon, at least in my mind, than Nero. Um, yeah. Even just thinking about like, you go into Star Trek Beyond and, and Kirk's birthday is on the day that his father died and just him thinking about that when he had, was it that he had turned the same age as his father when his father died or is that he was finally a year older than his father the day that his father died? I can't remember. I think it, I feel like it was that he was now older than his father, okay. but I could be misremembering. Yeah, but it's just like, as you said, like the, the George Kirk legacy has lived on throughout the, uh, the franchise and you, you do have to appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, you can say that Nero's big act was destroying Vulcan, which did carry on and was mentioned, you know, throughout the Kelvin verse. But it doesn't feel like that couldn't have been done by any villain. Um, whereas yeah. I think George Kirk, it's very specifically has to be George Kirk. All righty, Cam. Uh, who do you have for Star Trek Into Darkness? Well, I got Admiral Marcus. And, uh, well, that's about it. Yeah, I mean... We... <sighs> As far as new characters, like you've got some of those goons that were on the USS Vengeance in their yeah. little purple leotards. Um, you've got the dude uh, who blew up that library, uh, which was, I guess, the Section 31 um, secret hideout uh, in London at the start of the film. Uh, yep. I mean, just in terms of anybody who had any sort of arc or journey or presence, um, I guess it's Admiral Marcus by acclamation. There's that main Klingon who shows up with the piercings, but yeah, no, it's got to be Admiral Marcus. And what was that Klingon's name? Oh, who knows? Exactly. <laughs> who knows? Uh, I mean, I just, I, I don't, don't, 
I don't find Admiral Marcus to be a particularly compelling character either. I mean, despite the fact that he, he's played by a great actor, but it's just kind of like, again, it's just very one note. Let's try to, you know, rip off what we've done before. And um, I don't know. And like, I, I guess the one interesting thing that they did is that they're trying to get this version of Khan to be kind of the reluctant ally here uh, by going up against Marcus, who just turned out to be a complete psychopath. I do wonder what um, Prime Universe Marcus was like, and that if that all influenced um, David Marcus's feelings about Starfleet too. <laughs> Possibly? Possibly? Uh, uh. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a weird character, Admiral Marcus, isn't he? Yeah. We did that episode, Why uh, Starfleet Admirals Suck, and... Uh, I think he was the poster boy for that entire episode. <laughs> I think he was the album art. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, okay. So by acclamation, Admiral Marcus. Kim, exactly. Uh, as we close it out, just before we get into the brackets, which I think we'll have some fun with there, um, what do you got for Beyond? Yeah, so we've got Crawl or Edison, and also Jayla. And I forgot one I should just mention. I'll throw in Commodore Paris as well. Okay. Who, uh, you know, has a couple good scenes with Kirk and does stand out as a, uh, you know, Star Trek uh, or Starfleet superior officer that doesn't suck. Well, too bad we could not include uh, Finnegan as portrayed by Greg Grunberg, uh, you know, as we know from uh, Shore Leaf. Uh, he was already uh, created for that episode. One of the greats. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what a weird casting choice, though, for Finnegan. They couldn't even give him, like, an Irish accent? Or, like, lighter hair or anything? Or anything. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, that was kind of yeah. strange to me. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I guess, uh, I, I, I think it's pretty clear to me, uh, who the winner is based on, uh, a, a common theme we keep touching on throughout this, but, uh, Cam, uh, lay it to me. Uh, what's the most interesting thing about, uh, one, uh, Crawl, AKA Captain Edison? I think with Crawl, the most interesting thing is the twist of it being Edison and, uh, you know... <laughs> When he said, I fought the Zindi, I was ready to explode out of my chair with excitement to hear a major motion picture character say, I fought the Zindi. I was like, this is amazing. So, like, the twist element of the character works, but Crawl as a villain is not the most distinct. I remember a lot of reviews at the time were just like, why would you hire Idris Elba when he's buried under all this makeup throughout? And it's kind of like the Ron Perlman thing where I don't know that he comes through fully, until the end where you get more of the, you know, Idris Elba that's recognizable when he gets closer to Edison in appearance. But to me, I think, like, if I'm to ask, like, which is a superior villain in my eyes, him or Nero, I'm going to say Nero, I think. Okay. Like, Nero's more memorable to me. Uh, so that's why my eyes go towards Jayla, who looked very much to be set up as a character that could continue on with this franchise in a big role. I think maybe your eyes are going towards Jayla for more reasons than just that, Cameron. But, um, uh, oh, why? <laughs> so, uh, uh, so Brian Cranston was originally offered the role of Crawl slash Edison. Um, do you think he could have brought anything to the table? I mean, I, I like both actors a lot. I really do adore Idris Elba, but I just I don't think he was given a lot to work with. So I just wonder if maybe Brian Cranston may have been able to find something different to touch with that character. I don't know. Well, you look at what Brian Cranston did with his, like, small supporting role in the 2014 Godzilla movie, and I go, maybe, maybe he could have done something with Crawl that was a little more exciting, but at the same time, 
who knows? Like, I remember Brian Cranston also playing the uh, villain in the Total Recall remake and being so boring and bored on screen that I go, I don't know. <laughs> he should have just done the same performance that he did in Drive, where he played the car mechanic. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> that would have been something different. Yeah. Now, I think it would have maybe worked, like, age-wise with uh, Cranston a little more. The idea of this being, like, a kind of a previous generation of Starfleet. And Cranston is, you know, quite a few years older than, like, you know, Pine and Quinto and what have you. Yeah. So, like, I, I agree. I think it's Jayla for this movie. I think she was fun. She was, like, legit fun. Um, The actress, uh, was it Maria Bartitu or Sophia? Butello. Batello, yeah. Um, I I think that what a find, or um, at least one of her early uh, uh, film gigs there. Uh, I would love for them to bring her back in the Kelvinverse, if that's at all possible. I mean, it, it, it's quite tragic that you know um, we, we have uh, one Anton Yelchin just perished so so young, and I don't want people to think that he could be replaced, but. She could be at least like another dynamic presence joining the crew there. And Cam, let's be honest, by the time you get a fourth Kelvinverse film, I think she could be the captain of the Enterprise. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I would watch that. Captain Jayla, why not? Yeah, yeah. And then we have Chris Pine and company. They all look like um, uh, Shatner and crew by the time we got to uh, the final frontier. <laughs> I was going to say the deadly years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Cam, I think we're settled on what our winners are. So we're going to do a brackets, but look, look, we've got an odd number. So why don't we go through our list? Why don't we recount the list uh, to listeners? And then you and I kind of have to come to consensus about what is the least interesting uh, original movie character. And then we'll go through brackets and we'll do it chron kind of chron chronologically. You'll, you'll understand what we're getting at in just a few moments. But Cam, uh, among the folks most interesting, original, Star Trek movie characters. We've got uh, Decker, Savick, Styles, uh, Dr. Jillian Taylor, <laughs> Cybok, Chang, Soren, Borg Queen, Anij, Shinzon, George Kirk, Admiral Marcus, and Jayla. That's right. Yes. Um. Okay. So if we're being honest, maybe there's a, a few people that we we can make the argument <laughs> who's not the most interesting. Um. Uh, Styles. I, I I could say. Uh. Anij. Um, those would be my two votes. Those are the two. Yeah. Yeah, those are the two, I think. Between the two, who do you think about more? And who do you think was just more fun <laughs> to have on screen? Captain Styles is the one I probably think about more, but I also feel like this is a real slap to uh, Donna Murphy's character in Niju, <laughs> like, plays a significant role in her film, so... <laughs> I feel like I have to choose Anish as the character to keep. <laughs> okay, you know, you did um, let me get Styles in there. I, I agree. So we'll have to remove Styles, which means that okay. um, <laughs> uh, he won't be included in the brackets. So what we'll go then is we'll start with the first movie and we'll put it up against uh, the last movie and then we'll go to the second movie. It'll be up against, you know, Star Trek Into Darkness, so on and so forth until we get to what we have to come to consensus who the greatest Star Trek movie character, original movie character is of all time. So, Cam, it is Decker versus Jayla. Uh, who would you make the argument for? And we'll have to go through it quickly. Uh, but uh, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of know where I'm at, but I, I'm curious about your thoughts. I'm struggling with this one because I think, like, you know, the the ending of Decker is so memorable to me. Like, his journey through the course of the film really works big time. 
But like Jayla, I think, was the more dynamic personality on screen. And the one where I go, sign me up for like, you know, another two Jayla appearances on the crew. I don't know that at the end of motion picture, I'm like, I need more Decker. I need Star Trek 2 to be a continuation of the Decker story flying through the cosmos. So I guess if I'm to pick a character, it should be one, I think, who I really want to see proceed or who I, like left me wanting more. And so I'd have to say Jayla. Okay, I, I was leaning towards Decker, but honestly, I think you made a very good argument and like, uh, you want to see more of Jayla, you know, in, in future films. Whereas when I finished, you know, uh, yeah, the motion picture, it wasn't like I needed to see the human adventure continuing further. <laughs> I'm not against uh, a continuation of that, like a payoff to that, but uh, I don't think Stephen Collins will be uh, playing that character again. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, they, I do wonder if they bring Decker back somehow in uh in uh strange new worlds we did get like a uh like in the finale uh the season one finale we did hear him being paged over the intercom on the 1701 which is interesting i think that's his father matt decker from the original series i think that's who they were referring to there as as an ensign that's a good point yeah because he's like a commodore yeah so i guess it would be um will decker yeah Yeah, because they said like ensign decker right Right, okay. Yeah, then it would be Will Decker, for sure, okay. yeah. So, Cam, uh, we'll go Savick versus Admiral Marcus. Uh-huh, <laughs> slam dunk. Okay. Uh, Admiral Marcus, yes, okay. Yep, yep, uh, clearly. One of the great Star Trek villains. Yeah, like, we, we talked in depth about why Savick's awesome. Uh, we talked in depth yeah. about why Marcus sucks. Uh, we can jump over to the next uh, set of uh, characters here, and we have... We do like Peter Weller, though. We should say, we do like Peter Weller. Awesome character. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Yeah. Taylor uh, up against uh, George Kirk. Um, this is interesting, but I, I think I'm, I'm pretty down with what uh, Jillian Taylor's kind of represented to the franchise, despite the fact that those seven minutes to kick off 2009, that is what you call cinema right there. Yeah, this is, it's kind of tough because I think like the impact of that George Kirk sequence is pretty legendary within the franchise, but I think Jillian Taylor is just more important to her film. And I think that does go quite a ways. Um, So I think I would probably say Jillian Taylor. Um, We just, we know more about her. We don't. We don't really know that much about the personality of George Kirk. It's more about what he represents. Okay. Well, we're in agreement there. Cam, Cyborg versus Shinzon, the, the, the two greatest Star Trek villains of all time. <laughs> this is actually a fun uh, matchup here. <laughs> um, two movies that people hate uh, <laughs> with the villains of each. Yeah. Ow. It's got to be Shinzon, right? Yeah, like, I, I, I agree. Cyborg, Lawrence Luckinbill, love him to death. Uh, yes, you I'd do, like Cam. I, I always hear about how much you love him to death. <laughs> One of my all-time favorite actors. <laughs> I'm staring at a giant cardboard stand-up of him at this very moment. Um, <laughs> it looms over me. Um, but I think, like, you've got to say Shinzon. The performance is just so much more magnetic. Um, Cybok is a great concept, I would say. Okay, Cam, the next matchup. Um, General Chang versus Anish. Who wins? <laughs> Sorry, Anish. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I mean, I, look, Donna Murphy did the best with what she was given. Um, but I, I'm sorry, but you got Christopher Plummer as an all-time Star Trek villain. Uh, I, 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 I got to give it to Chang there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No kidding. I mean, that's that's a pretty easy one. A- another blowout, Cam. Um, Sauron versus the Borg Queen. Sorry, Borg Queen. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> back to the Nexus for you, Borg Queen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Doctor Sauron, as I said, like character who I feel like there was more they wanted to do that was just really underwritten. Um, so yeah, Borg Queen is too legendary to argue against. We've completed the first round of brackets. And so uh, in that, we have decided that uh, Savick, uh, Dr. Jillian, General Chang, the Borg Queen, Shinzon, and Jayla are the, um, so far, the the, uh, stronger original movie characters. The one thing that I I think is interesting is this is being dominated. Star Trek is not known for um, a a big focus and a big plethora of um, woman characters in the movies. Um, this one is being dominated by uh, the women characters so far. Yeah, I wonder if that's because they didn't focus. I mean, Uhura got next to nothing to do in those, especially the original series movies um, I'm referring to. Um, so, like, they had to introduce, like, some female characters that really did take off, like Savick, who were given more screen time. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Cam, uh, Savick versus Jayla. Who do you give it to? Okay. Uh, now, this is where it gets a little iffy with Savick's long-term journey, where in Star Trek Three, you know, you recast with Robin Curtis. And I feel like with, with that recast came kind of the decision to cut Savick's role down considerably. And then with Star Trek Four, they're just dumping her and heading off on their own adventure yeah. um, back in time. So it's like I, I'm kind of bummed out about the overall journey of Savick on the big screen. But with Jayla, I don't even know what the journey is because we've only had one movie. So I'll, I'll just tell I do you think for with me, it, Savick. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Savick. Yeah, I, it's just it's a character. I just think of Kirstie Alley bouncing off the screen. Like she's so iconic. Yeah. It, it's just a character that I, I still think about this day. Whereas I, I think about Savick much more than I do Jayla, despite the fact that I, I, I do enjoy Jayla as a character. Yeah, like there's just. Something about Savick where it feels like more of just this iconic Star Trek character. Whereas Jayla is a fun character that I want to see more of that I felt was a little shortchanged because we never got a follow-up. So I think Savick is the one who's the more important, um, okay. you know, introduction into Star Trek. So, Cam, we've got uh, Dr. Jillian Taylor versus Shinzon. Huh. Hmm. I mean, I think... Just by virtue of the fact people like her movie, you got to say <laughs> Dr. Jillian Taylor. And also that, yeah, it's a, kind of a slam dunk. I don't think Jillian Taylor, like, if I'm looking at the entire franchise of Star Trek, not just the movies, Jillian Taylor doesn't really rank in my upper ranks. But she is factoring into so many scenes that people remember very fondly in her film versus how many scenes of Shinzon do people recall fondly? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, then I guess if we get that it's Dr. Jillian Taylor, we have um, uh, General Chang versus the Borg Queen. Yeah. Um, I think here, this one, it's it's got to be the Borg Queen. I just think it as an antagonist, I think the Borg Queen is much more uh, fleshed out, no pun intended, than General Chang, who's like a really magnetic presence in the movie and a very iconic look. Um, and Christopher Plummer gives it his all, but I just think there's so much more depth to the Borg Queen. I am in total agreement with you there, and just kind of the legacy of the Borg Queen over, you know, the last, you know, quarter century. Um, General Chang's awesome, but, um, I gotta give it to the Borg Queen at this point. Definitely, yeah. 
Okay. So Cam, um, you and I, as, as listeners know, are, are terrible at math. And so uh, brackets don't work when you're doing uh, 12. So <laughs> we've got three left here uh, to decide on. I guess we just debate between the three then. Yeah. So we've got Savick, uh, Dr. Jillian Taylor, and the Borg Queen. So Dr. Jillian Taylor, uh, this is her exit point. Um, thank you, Jillian. You contributed a lot, and we enjoyed you in your Star Trek IV film. But I think it really does come down to Savick and Borg Queen here, right? Yeah. And, and well, let's talk about what you are saying earlier, about kind of the journey of these uh, characters. Um, I've been disappointed by um, where we leave off with these characters uh, in the respective franchises. Uh, as you said, uh, Savick's just kind of being dumped on Vulcan by... Uh, the beginning of Star Trek 4 and the board queen is doing what now at the end of season 2 Picard or no halfway through season Picard she's combining her nanoprobes with Dr. Gerardi and uh, like it's not the same board queen character though and uh, like I don't know I it's just to me that entire season just gives me a headache thinking about it which one? If this was the last time we saw the Borg Queen in Picard Season 2, that's that's the end point. Okay. Which journey do you think is more satisfying, Savick or Borg Queen? More satisfying? Huh. Um, I can't get over how dumb it was that, like, Savick's right there on Vulcan, and they just dump her there, and we never hear from her yeah. again. Like, that's just... Yeah. That's pretty... At least we have, like, a conclusion for the Borg Queen, at least so far. Yeah, I mean, they can do more with her, but as it stands in Picard Season 2, we did get something. It's it's kind <laughs> it's of something. like the, uh, it's kind of like, you know, the eat, Cheb or Hugh. <laughs> it's not what you wanted, but it is something. It's an ending. It all has to do with those uh, uh, Borg drones, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think if I'm to choose between Savick and Borg Queen, I, I have to choose Borg Queen because I just think that character contributes so much to the ongoing saga of Star Trek and contributed so much to, you know, her film and obviously you know, several TV shows. So I think this is the best of the movie characters. Yeah, I, I you know, it's not even close, in my opinion. Like, I think the Borg Queen takes it away uh, by, like, a pretty fair margin here. Yeah, like, so often we talk about, and fans also say, you know, that Star Trek's about the TV shows versus the movies. The movies are fun, but it, the show is where Star Trek really comes to life. I think the Borg Queen is one of the few examples where you would say, like, that feels as significant as a movie creation as things created within the world of the TV show. Look, so, Cam, the, the only uh, Star Trek villains that... that um... Uh, emanated from the movies first and then reappeared in television where the Borg Queen and Cybok. Um <laughs> what is the potential for us to follow up with people like um Shinzon, Admiral Marcus, uh <laughs> uh you know uh Rafo, Admiral Doherty, um, you know, uh Soren, like um Crawl, you know, <laughs> Chang. Like they just I I I don't see too many paths to those other antagonists. Um except Viger, the Viger probe. No, it's true. Like, it feels like if you're going to look at Star Trek movies and how they might influence future storytelling, you know, Khan is the only thing that feels like we could see more of Khan, say, on a TV show. And I think that's largely because of the movie Wrath of Khan, more so than Space Seed or Into Darkness, quite honestly. Um, so, but that's a that's an original TV 
character, but it's just one popularized by the movie. Yeah. All right. Well, Cam, I had a blast doing that little exercise uh, in the last uh, hour or so. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, we so often get to talk about TV characters without... We don't talk about like Anish or Admiral <laughs> Doherty or just like some of these some of these random movie characters who occupy a fair amount of our time watching these two hour adventures. But when it comes to the actual week to week podcast, we don't tend to really bring them up. Well, on that note, next week, Cam, we will be speaking about Anish and Admiral Doherty for an hour straight. <laughs> What's the name of that one? <laughs> Dissecting the uh, original movie characters from Insurrection. <laughs> Okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. Tyler, what are we doing next week? Uh, we're going to recap the uh, latest episodes of Star Trek Prodigy. And uh, listeners, is an odd request from Cam, but he's asking that uh, everybody rewatch Boba Fett. And we can see if Boba Fett's gotten even better uh, the second viewing. <laughs> You start, and uh, I'll meet you halfway. Yeah. Um, I am looking forward to this. Um, in uh, uh, So Star Trek Picard, season three, will be on in February, and then we just found out that uh, The Mandalorian will be coming back in March. So it'll be fun that um, even if we hate Picard season three, uh, we'll still have fun recapping uh, with the Mandalorian report uh, you know, week to week uh, that'll cross over with Picard as well. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that Mandalorian season three. Uh, you mean... I'm not going to say anything about Picard Season 3. <laughs> By Mandalorian Season 3, do you mean the last half of uh, Boba Fett Season 1? That that as well, yes. <laughs> My favorite show. Yeah. Uh, okay, you can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam, V as in Viceroy, Smith. You can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N, N as in Nikki the Nose. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Transfer complete.